What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. The show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. I think there's something that happens in the fact that we, in today's society, consume so much literature, movies, video games, stories of an epic nature where amazing feats are performed and amazing and terrifying creatures exist that we become desensitized to a lot of it, especially the vast nature of it or the epic scale of things it just comes to be expected you throw a dragon in a series and you go oh yeah that's a dragon but rarely do we take the time to imagine that dragon in front of us to put that dragon in in the context of what it would be like to be somebody in a situation talking to a giant dragon like Bilbo in The Hobbit. And I get it. We become desensitized. We've heard so many stories. In today's world, we are filled with entertainment. We have, in fact, so much entertainment out there that even as a content creator, or especially as a content creator, it's difficult to stand out among the entire selection of all the things that you could be using your time to do and entertaining yourself with. We also have a situation where we rarely put ourselves in harm's way on purpose. When we do, it's in these real world situations. It's The rare occasion where we jump to somebody's aid or we have to stand up for ourselves or the guy at the bar is becoming a little bit rowdy and we need to either, you know, look him down or walk out of the bar. We don't stand up against dragons 
in our everyday lives. And we definitely don't have gods walking among us. Not in the sense that you have in this world, in the world of Tolkien. You might come from a religious tradition that believes that your creator, your savior is is here with us now and all of that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is difficult for me to come up with words for. It's the epicness of taking on the most powerful creature in the entire world who physically can exist in front of you and challenging them to single combat. One-on-one, mano Imano, and expecting to even make the slightest difference. In today's episode, I'm going to be discussing Fingolfin and Fingolfin's challenge to Morgoth, Melkor himself, in one of the most brave or brazen or potentially foolhardy moves any of the elves have ever done. So while you're listening to this episode, I want you to have in mind what it would be like to challenge a power that centuries, millennia ago, was taking part in crafting and deconstructing the very bones of the planet. A force that was leveling mountains, that was moving seas, that all of the Valar combined needed to wage war upon in order to chain up. And yeah, we've discussed this. Morgoth has given his power into the world. He is more limited than he's ever been. But he is still a god. Before we get into the details of the battle, this fight between Fingolfin and Morgoth, we need to give it a little bit of background because we've talked about the Dagger Bragolak in the last episode, the Battle of Sudden Flame, the doors of Angband open, and out comes a host, a terrible, terrible host, of course, right? We have... Glarung, followed by Balrogs, followed by endless seas of orcs. And I want you to understand the entire scale of this and how this affects the elves. I also think it's fun to note here that I've been rewatching The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit movies with my son recently, and we just got to the part with Moria and the Balrog. And I explained to him that in the first age, during the Battle of Dagor Bragolak, we have Glarung, the father of dragons, and an army of Balrogs marching behind him. And we don't know the total number of Balrogs. This is very debated. I've talked about this before. But even if it's five, that's still terrifying. 
We also have to understand the scale that this happens at. I don't think I discussed this in clear detail last time because it didn't really fit the narrative I was going for. But when we look at the maps, everything across the top of the map has been pushed back against with war. If we go from the left side, from the west, we have Hithlam. Hithlam, and this is everything south of the lands, the frozen north, the stuff that Morgoth holds on to that the elves aren't able to. So on the west side, we have Hithlam. This is where Fingolfin's group is. Fingon, south of that, in Dor Loman. We have these middle areas where Angrod and Agnor who I mentioned in the last episode, are killed. This is the area that is closest to Angband, directly south. The area that was first hit by the forces pushing south. And then east of that, we have Madros. We have Lothlin, this area called Lothlin. And Madros and Maglor and Kelegorm and Kurofin, these other elves, these other children of Feanor. And this is where Melkor's forces push the furthest down south into Beleriand. We're told that Madros among them was able to withstand and fight and hold on to his fortress. Madros, remember, Madros is the one that was chained up on the walls, the one that lost his hand. We're told that he fights like a fire spirit is inside of him and is able to maintain the fortress, but otherwise is surrounded. The idea that Madros by himself, well, not exactly by himself, but with his forces is able to make an impact that big to fight back this horde of orcs and potentially Balrogs at his gate, inspiring his men, but we're really given a sense here that a lot of it is taken on directly by him. It's Madros on the battlefield, burning with this fire to fight back against these forces because of what was done to him. And he maintains the fortress there, the fortress of Himring. I'm going to be quoting a lot in this episode because the text here is just so good. And I want you to hear what the writing sounds like right here. In the Silmarillion, it says, Madros did deeds of surpassing valor, and the orcs fled before his face. For since his torment upon Thangorodrim, his spirit burnt like a white fire within, and he was as one that returns from the dead. He was fighting like this undead force of vengeance basically. Now, let's go through and list everybody else. We have Fingolfin and Fingon. They take great losses. They're over on the west, right? We have some of the men, Hador and Gundur of the third house of the Edain, and they are defeated trying to protect Fingolfin. So more motivation for Fingolfin to feel like something drastic needs to be done. Yet in the midst of all of this, Hithlam, which is very far to the north and the west, maintains its perimeter. And part of that is that there are mountain ranges that help defend this area. So of the other Noldor, the ones who are more on the eastern side, we have Kelegorm and Kurufin, who were defeated at a, at a battle that happened at the Pass of Aglon, and they fled to Nargothrond to 
kind of shack up with a uh, fin rod for some protection because Nargothrond is south and west and kind of beyond the boundaries of Doriath. And Doriath doesn't get attacked yet in any of this. So Thingol and Melian are still neutral, but also not necessarily under siege the way the rest of these elves are. We're also told that the orcs overran Lothlin. This is the area on the east passed through Maglor's Gap and destroyed all his lands between the arms of the Gellion. So this is their force pushing south, south in the eastern side of the map, up close to where the uh, Blue Mountains are. Then we are also told that Carinthir's lands were destroyed and orcs took the fortresses on Mount Rarir and defiled Lake Helivorn. This area is very close to the Blue Mountains over on the east side. He fled and joined his people and the scattered folk of Amrod and Amras. This combined group went very far south compared to other places, more south than the southern part of Doriath, to a place called Ammon Arab, which is near Osirian, this, near this area uh, among the rivers and lakes where Fingolfin originally came across the men crossing the mountains. This isn't near the mountains. This is a little bit more on the western side of that. But if you were to travel from this area east and a little bit south, you would end up in a location that was probably about where Fingolfin met men. Now notice, notice what isn't mentioned. Nargothrond, not yet mentioned. Also, Gondolin. Morgoth still doesn't know where Gondolin is. His forces have moved around the mountain ranges that Gondolin is surrounded by, but they don't know that Gondolin is in that set of mountains. And so they remain unscathed as well. So you have to look at this entire situation. The majority of the Noldor have been removed from their homes, their homes destroyed, their lands taken. They've been shuffled around and they have to go to other locations in order to survive. And if they haven't, then it still feels like they're about to be overwhelmed. The siege has moved from focusing on Morgoth, on Melkor's forces, and has now flipped to the lands of the elves. And it's in this environment that Fingolfin decides to try to cut the head off the snake. And this is a theme. I mean, we get these themes, right? This idea that the only real way to stop the forces of darkness, it's not to fight these battles. It's not to keep on fighting the orcs and whatever else Melkor throws at them or Sauron throws at them. They have to take out the leader because without the leader, the rest of this group will not know what to do. They will be disorganized and they will be able to be conquered. Melkor has to go. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love Marvel Comics. Growing up, I collected comics and the trading cards, and I've seen 
pretty much every Marvel movie they've made so far. So if you're into Marvel like I am, go check out Marvel Strike Force. This is a mobile squad RPG. You can collect and unlock all the different heroes. You fight against supervillains. There's a campaign. There's a blitz mode. There's an arena. There's a constantly evolving meta. And right now they're celebrating the Deadpool anniversary event. This is a mission from Strike where you log in the first time and you unlock this generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, a bunch of other items. It is absolutely the right time to jump in and try this game out. Click the link in the show notes to download it now and then use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L, MAXPOOL. Don't miss out on all the free stuff and thanks again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. All right, welcome to the middle of the show. This is where we get to thank our patrons. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am Tom or Robots. I don't always introduce myself on every episode, but I'm assuming that if you're listening to the show that you're probably listening through from the beginning. So I'm just going to go with that assumption anyway. But if you don't know, I'm Tom or Robots. I do this show and many other shows. I also have been, and you may have noticed the little ad that showed up at the beginning. I've been streaming more often on twitch.tv slash robots radio. And I'm doing this in order for me to hang out with you guys, because <laughs> that's the way to phrase it. Um, I, I'm trying to be more social, and it's tough when you get all of these private messages and things on different platforms in order to maintain conversations with lots of different people. That's very difficult. The reason I'm doing this is because if I set up a time for me to live stream, then it's way easier to have people show up, the opportunities to talk and chat. We can talk about... Tolkien's lore. We can talk about other stuff that's going on, what video games you're playing, any of that stuff. Um, Some of it is going to be me just chatting with the community. Some of it's going to be me playing games and things like that. So I would love, I would love to get to know you. Come on over to twitch.tv slash robots radio. Drop me a follow on there. It's free and just jump into one of the live streams. I'm trying to set up a regular schedule, but it's, it's pretty difficult to me for me, for me, for me. I'm going to leave that in. That's funny. Um, But most of the time, you'll be able to find me during the days on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'm going to try to at least stream a few hours during the days on each of those days. But there are other times that I'm going to pop in and stream and do some stuff too. So come hang out with me. I'd love to get to know you, especially if you're a patron. And we have four new patrons this week. Big shout outs to Michael B., Kevin D., Overhauls Overho, and... C. I didn't realize that you could even create an account with just a single letter. Um, Thank you for signing up. Welcome. And also big shout outs to our VIP patrons, Brad C, Chris D, Esoteric Rage, Larry, Tristan P, and Tyler B. Thank you so much to all 
41 of you, 41 patrons at this point. Welcome, welcome. I hope you guys are enjoying the ad-free episodes, getting episodes a day early on Sundays instead of Mondays. Um, and then if you are tier two or higher, getting those bonus episodes. This week, I still haven't decided what I'm going to talk about yet. Usually I record it after the main episode. So I haven't really decided. I've got some ideas. Well, I guess we're just going to have to find out. So we also have some reviews that came in and thank you. Big, big thanks to people who take the time to leave ratings and reviews on Apple podcasts and Spotify. I very, very much. It, it, it really helps there. There's a lot of good Tolkien podcasts out there, so it's hard to stand out. So this really helps me do that. So this one comes from PGB exclusive in the United States who wrote on their Apple podcast review. Five stars. Absolutely amazing and mind blowing. What? That's amazing. I've always been a fan of Lord of the Rings. I just started a new job where I can listen to podcasts and music. I know. Isn't that great? I I had a lot of jobs where I could do that. And that's how I got into podcasts too. I just finished the audiobooks for Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and they were amazing, but I was really curious about the lore. I searched a lot and it was really complicated or sorry, complexed until I stumbled upon this amazing podcast in all caps. Tom makes it so easy to understand and remember everything that is happening. I started this a week ago and I'm already caught up. The podcast has made my work week a million times better. Thank you so much, Tom. You are amazing. I hope you have good time on your cruise. Oh, I did. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, thank you for taking the time to write such uh, glowing things. I really do appreciate it. Then we have Anonymous Clive from the US who wrote, great job, five stars. This podcast is wonderful. I'm reading the Lord of the Rings trilogy and Hobbit and have always wanted to dive deeper. It's a perfect podcast for those wanting to dive deeper. And I think even just movie watchers still will understand everything. Podcaster's voice is clear and he is clearly very knowledgeable about the mythology of Lord of the Rings. It's like a PhD thesis level of knowledge. You can sub on Patreon for deep analysis, which I just did. Thank you. Well, thank you. That is amazing. And um, did I read this one out last time? I think this one came in just after I recorded and I didn't see it. This one's from M.I. Farm Girl in the U.S. who wrote a must listen five stars. This is a must listen for Lord of the Rings fans. I've been a fan since I first heard The Hobbit at age eight and I'm always looking for more content. Robots does a fantastic job explaining the complex history of Middle Earth. Please keep it coming. Thanks, Kirsten E. Awesome. Thank you to all of you guys. I'm not going to take any, any more of your time up here in the middle of the show because we have to get to Fingolfin versus Melkor. Here we go. So I don't usually do this. What am I talking about? I am going to quote to you this entire battle, this entire fight between Fingolfin and Melkor. I'm going to stop. I'm not just going to read you the whole thing. I'm going to read it. We're going to talk a little bit. I'm going to read some more because this is epic and nothing's better than Tolkien's words. So here, let's go. It begins with, now news came to Hithlum that Dorthonian was lost and the sons of Finarfin overthrown and that the sons of Feanor were driven from their lands. 
pause. Wait, this is what we just talked about, right? All of the moving around of everybody and everybody losing their lands or getting killed. Then Fingolfin beheld, as it seemed to him, the utter ruin of the Noldor and the defeat beyond redress of all their houses. And filled with wrath and despair, he mounted upon Rakalor, his great horse, and rode forth alone, and none might restrain him. This has a lot of implications here. Also, there's the name of a horse that we are only ever given in this one passage, Rakalor. Rakalor is a compound word in Sindarin, and Rak means horse. Alor, we don't know. We don't know what that means. So he rode his horse named Horse Something. And nobody could hold him back. He was so filled with wrath and despair that he gets on the horse and rides as fast as he can. And it's implied here that they tried to stop him. Now, I'm going to pose some questions here. Is this mostly despair and he's running to his own suicide? Or is this a last grasp that he can do like he's he's conceiving that their doom is upon them somebody has to do something so why not me is this brave or is this foolish or is this just a way to end things faster for him it goes on it says he passed over door new foglith like a wind amid the dust and all that beheld his onset fled in a maze thinking that orome himself was come for a great madness of rage was upon him so that his eyes shone like the eyes of the valar we get a lot of imagery here in this passage of this like glowing light and the reflections of the silver his eyes glowing like the valar this is amazing imagery this is one of those mythological kinds of things that happens where a character can act and almost temporarily hold the spirit of something else. And so even though visually he's clearly Fingolfin, his actions and his passion, his energy is that of something else. And so the forces flee. And I I take it he probably slaughters a lot of orcs along the way. Anyone that stands in his way, he's probably chopping down as he races to confront Melkor. Then he makes it to the gates. Thus he came alone to Angband's gates, and he sounded his horn, and smote once more upon the brazen doors, and challenged Morgoth to come forth to single combat. And Morgoth came. Notice the name here. It's writing Morgoth, not Melkor, not the enemy, Morgoth, the older name. Also, he sounds his horn, but then he also is beating on the doors. This is a bold challenge. He's come to the door and he is making himself known. The next passage says, That was the last time in those wars that he passed the doors of his stronghold. And it is said that he took not the challenge willingly. This is talking about Melkor. For though his might was greatest of all things in this world, alone of the Valar, he knew fear. And I think that's because of his 
limitations at this point. He realizes that although he is still extremely powerful, the greatest of all things in this world, he is not beyond destruction himself. He is limited. There's another episode I want to do at some point about the nature of Morgoth and the outpouring of his evil and his energy into the world so that the world itself is like his ring, his great ring of power. Sauron does it with a ring. Morgoth does it with the world. And both of them are taking a risk in this because they physically themselves or spiritually or energetically, I don't know the right word to use here, are limited because of it. So this continues, but he could not now deny the challenge before the face of his captains, for the rocks rang with the shrill music of Fingolfin's horn, and his voice came keen and clear down into the depths of Angband. And Fingolfin named Morgoth Craven and Lord of Slaves. He's name-calling now. Fingolfin is hammering at the door. He's playing his horn over and over in shrill notes. He's not even doing what elves do and playing beautiful music in a dark and scary place. He is calling for blood. And Morgoth is looking at his captains who are all looking at him like, what are you going to do, boss? And he realizes that he cannot avoid addressing this. He has to come out. Therefore, Morgoth came climbing slowly from his subterranean throne. Like, imagine this in slow motion. A lot of what we get in the films is of, like, Sauron being very large, but also very plodding and slow. I think some of that imagery actually comes from this. And the rumors of his feet were like thunder underground. Large, heavy footfalls. This also reminds me of the phrase, drums in the deep, from Moria and the approach of Durin's bane. And he issued forth clad in black armor, and pay attention to this part, black armor, and he stood before the king like a tower. He's very tall, very big, iron crowned, and his vast shield, sable unblazoned, it's very black, very dark black shield, cast a shadow over him like a storm cloud. So we know that he comes out in black in blackness, right? But he is armored and has a shield that I'm given the impression stands very tall, like a tower shield. This represents his fear. Why come ironclad with a gigantic shield if you know you're going to win? If you're not able to be hurt or harmed or killed? But Fingolfin, and we get the contrast here, gleamed beneath it as a star, much smaller in the darkness, right? For his mail was overlaid with silver, and his blue shield was set with crystals. And he drew his sword, Ringel, that glittered like ice. We get this white and blue gem that is Fingolfin standing in front of the darkness, like a light. Imagery that's used a lot throughout Tolkien's works. 
Then Morgoth hurled aloft Grand. We talked about Grand, the hammer of the underworld, and swung it down like a bolt of thunder. Bolt of thunder, I think, is very, very important here. Tolkien does not use like the casting of magic spells, and we've talked about this before as well, the same way that you would find in other fantasy literature. The actual landing of the hammer hits like a bolt of thunder. Morgoth is foundational to the creation of the world. Even if he didn't make things himself, he was still able to destroy them, remove them, create things like thunderclouds and volcanoes. This is Morgoth's language. His language is that of turbulent nature and the powers and the strength that that holds. But Fingolfin sprang aside and Grand rent a mighty pit in the earth whence smoke and fire darted. And I want to pause here real quick. We have to remember that Grand is a hammer. He's fighting with a giant hammer. And I did some research on this. It's called the Hammer of the Underworld. And I wondered if there's any parallels in mythology for a great hammer or a weapon of the underworld. And this is actually unique. He's not pulling here from some other weapon or even imagery from anything else that was created before. Oftentimes, weapons of the underworld are things like spears or swords, like that kind of stuff. Even a mace isn't even brought up. This is a hammer. Many times Morgoth essayed to smite him, and each time Fingolfin leaped away as a lightning shoots from under a dark cloud. Again, the light and the darkness. So Morgoth can't hit him, and he's pitting the battlefield again and again and again. This brings to mind the final fight in the movie The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies, where you have Azog and Thorin fighting. And I know this isn't canon. This doesn't happen in The Hobbit. Um, Azog isn't even there. But the events of the way the battle plays out seem to be inspired by this. They just happen to be doing this on ice. And Azog keeps swinging at Thorin and breaking the ice around them and removing pieces of it until that becomes something that plays into the battle itself. So Fingolfin's ability to dodge around and move more quickly than Morgoth comes in handy here. It says, As he wounded Morgoth with seven wounds, and seven times Morgoth gave a cry of anguish, whereat the hosts of Angband fell upon their faces in dismay, and the cries echoed in the Northlands. The, uh, the other orcs and things, the captains are afraid here. Also, you get these numbers that show up. Seven wounds. We also get a number three coming up in just a little bit. And this this is like a mythological thing to pick very specific numbers because the numbers had meanings in different cultures. I don't necessarily know what Tolkien's mind were or where his mind was at for numbers in this. But for example, in biblical literature, three is a trinity, right? Seven is a very good and positive number. There are reasons for using certain numbers because they actually carry with them more information than you would get without them. But I don't exactly know the meanings that are assigned to these, or if it's just in the tone and style of other work. But it goes on. But at the last, the king grew weary, meaning Fingolfin, and Morgoth bore down his shield upon him thrice, three times he was crushed to his knees, and three and thrice arose again and bore up his broken shield and stricken helm. 
This almost looks like the moment from Endgame where Captain America's fighting Thanos, right? You got that kind of imagery here as well. But of course, that wasn't an influence for Tolkien. But maybe that it goes the other way around. But the earth was all rent and pitted about him, and he stumbled and fell backwards before the feet of Morgoth. The rent earth, the pits around them, that Morgoth's weapon, the hammer of the underworld, was causing. And Morgoth set his left foot upon his neck, and the weight of it was like a fallen hill. Again, this imagery of the land itself being part of who Morgoth is, like the bones of the earth. Yet with his last and desperate stroke, Fingolfin hewed the foot with Ringle, and the blood gashed forth black and smoking and filled the pits of Grand black, hot, burning blood. Thus died Fingolfin, high king of the Noldor, most proud and valiant of the elven kings of old. The orcs made no boast of that duel at the gate, neither do the elves sing of it, for their sorrow is too deep. I, t- I take it here that um, the orcs don't boast of it because Morgoth kind of got taken on. Like, he legitimately could have been beat potentially now he overpowered his enemy but this is not a proud moment for him and he was wounded and morgoth took the body of the elven king and broke it i get another literature image i get this picture of like bane breaking batman's back or something but i don't think that's exactly the same thing and would cast it to his wolves but thorondor came hasting from his eyrie among the peaks of Kasegrim, Thorndor, the king of the eagles, right, swoops in, no love of Morgoth at all, picks up the body, and he stooped upon Morgoth and marred his face. So he takes his talon and swipes it across Morgoth's face as he swoops down and picks up the body of Fingolfin. The rushing of the wings of Thorondor was like the noise of the winds of Manway. It's almost like Thorondor is a stand-in for Manway and what Manway wants to do to Morgoth for killing one of the elves. And he seized the body with his mighty talons and soared suddenly above the darts of the orcs. He bore the king away, and he laid him upon a mountaintop that looked from the north upon the hidden valley of Gondolin. And Turgon coming built a high cairn over his father. I did skip a little passage that talks about how Thorondor is the one who got word out that this even happened to the rest of the orcs. Now, this is a thing that happens also in Tolkien's work, and I believe in other mythologies, this idea that a great person's resting place is holy. And so therefore, certain things happen or don't happen there. No orc dared ever after to pass over the Mount of Fingolfin or draw nigh his tomb to even go near it until the doom of Gondolin was come and treachery was born among his kin. Morgoth went ever halt of one foot after that day. He limped because of this wound. He never healed from it. And the pain of his wounds could not be healed. And in his face was the scar that Thorondor made. He is hurt. He is wounded. And Fingolfin has shown that he is not impossible to defeat. But will the doom of the Noldor stop them from doing so? 
Is there anyone out there who single-handed or with the help of others could take on Morgoth again? See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.